Workforce Transformation, a future of work where individuals are owners of their own career. Companies buying work outcomes, not employees, on the open market. Welcome to State of Independence, the podcast about how independent work has completely transformed the U.S. economy and how you can take advantage of it. I'm your host, Asya Haq, Vice President of Talent Marketing at MBO Partners. Welcome to another episode of our Voices of Independence series. Today, we will talk with Jennifer Lemmer, employer branding and communication strategist. We will talk about the impetus for her launching her own strategy consulting firm and the need she sees for us to support female business owners. We will also discuss the article she has written on this topic for the inaugural issue of MBO's new Advantage Consulting Quarterly magazine. Well, Jennifer, welcome to the State of Independence podcast. I am so excited to welcome you. You know, I have enjoyed getting to know you as an MBO Advantage member and have appreciated your participation in the launch of our first Consultants Quarterly for MBO Advantage. So really excited to welcome you to the channel and talk a little bit more about your content and your personal story. Well, thank you so much, Asya. It's really a pleasure to be here and it's nice to talk to you anytime. One of the things I was thinking about as I was sort of in my head mentally preparing for our conversation today is how many similarities our life paths have. You know, there's things that um, honestly I really relate to as I think about where you are in your career and as a mother who is a part of the independent workforce, something that I look back and remember my days of um, having my first child and embarking on a solo career and just how scary it was, but also how empowering it was. So I, I feel like there's a thread of something really interesting there that I would love to talk to you about. What made you decide to leave the career you had before becoming a consultant? Tell us a little bit about that career and what made you jump over to independent consulting life? Really at the beginning of 2020, I realized that I wanted a change. I needed a change. So I sort of gave myself a deadline that that year I was going to figure out how to go out on my own. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know how to start. Uh, I didn't know anybody at the time who was actively freelancing or or doing anything with their own business. But I was like, I'm just going to keep my day job. I'm going to explore this and I'm going to get it off the ground as like my side hustle. Right. And I look back now and I'm like, what was I thinking? That's This is not a side hustle. This is a full time plus hustle. So for me, it was really just kind of busting out of my comfort zone. The pandemic really got me moving, really kicked me along because the industry I was in was facing a lot of challenges related to the pandemic and I ended up on furlough. So I had all this time. I mean, I had all this time outside of watching my kids 24 seven with no break, but (laughs) on the nights that I couldn't sleep, I'm like, I got to figure something else out. I don't want to lose my job with no, with no backup and maybe my job will come back, but this is a really good time for me to explore this area. And there's a lot of room for exploration and and no room for failure because nobody knows what I'm doing. Right. So it's really just kind of jumping off a cliff and doing it scared. And, you know, you can, you can be really good when you're in a very closed corporate environment, but you have to think, how good am I if I'm off on my own? Can I really sell myself? Can I really do this without a full support team around me? You know, how do you be your own boss? And I'm still figuring that stuff out too. Well, I know that you have very successfully transitioned from your traditional career to bring on, you know, a large corporate employer. 
And that's actually something that sometimes people find it very difficult to do, you know, having studied the independent workforce for many years and having both been in your shoes and also watched others on that journey. It's very hard to land that first client sometimes. And actually, people that are successful are those that land that first client and then take what they've learned about that experience and craft it into their selling message for a client to and beyond. And, you know, we've seen people be very successful when they've been able to hone in on their niche. And I know a little bit about your niche, but our audience doesn't. So I'd love for you to just share a little bit about where you sort of positioned yourself within the industry and and how you were able to arrive at that positioning. Sure. So uh, my real focus is on internal communication. So that's everything from employee engagement, executive branding, message development. My real passion is how do companies talk to their people and keep their people happy and productive? And it's a two-way conversation, right? Like listening in to what the employees want and sharing that with leadership. I mean, for me, that's really what gets things going. Like, how do you keep a successful organization running? It's really that two-way conversation. So that's really where I position myself because that's where I have the most fun. I love getting to know employees. I love getting to know what makes leaders tick and really helping them develop their voices, their corporate voices, both internally and externally. So that's sort of where I started. What, what do I think I'm good at? I know I can do a lot of things. I've done a lot of things. I've had a lot of jobs, but <laughs> what are the things that I think are the most fun? That's what I wanted to focus on, going out as an independent. And as far as landing the first client, I think a lot of that is luck and a lot of it is networking, right? So I really pounded the pavement and by pound pavement, I mean, used my phone and sent messages to people just to say like, hey, I knew, I know you did this a few years ago. How did you do it? What are you doing now? Do you have any advice for me? And not asking anyone for a lead, right? Like, I'm very lucky that I've worked with a lot of super smart people who are willing to just talk, right? And keeping up those conversations kind of over the years, even if it's off and on, people were really willing to just jump in and be like, how can I help you? I don't know anybody right now, but if I do, I'll put you in touch. And it was just a lot of, it was just a lot of that, just getting in touch with people from my past. So I feel like I'm really lucky to have a network that has been super supportive, even if maybe I've neglected it a few times over the years, but that was really the the thing that got me going. Everything you say echoes so closely with what we know from studying the independent workforce through state of independence for how consultants find work. So one of the main sources of work is through the word of mouth referral. And you describe sort of how to make that happen. It's by reaching out authentically. And as you said, not always focusing on, do you have a project for me? But how can we know more about each other and how can we learn how to be mutually beneficial to sort of relationship-based network development is such a key skill set. So I'm so happy to hear you talk about it because I think a lot of times this is a skill set that comes more easily to men than women. And I know the reason I bring that up is that I know we're going to be talking about your article that you have written for our consultants magazine that focuses on women in the workforce. And you don't just focus on independent women in the workforce, you focus more broadly on the topic. So that's why I wanted to sort of tease out and talk about, did you find that as a woman approaching this topic, was there anything that made you uncomfortable with how you looked at networking? Is there something you could share with others that are beginning this type of exploration? Maybe they're considering, you know, is my job going to survive 2021 in COVID? Or maybe I'm just ready for passion, for control, for doing what I enjoy and what's fun. What advice do you have to offer? 
I would say I was totally afraid of failing and looking stupid, right? And the more people I talked to, I didn't feel that way. Nobody was like, oh, this isn't going to work. I just got a lot of encouragement, uh, which I think was really helpful from the, from the get-go. I was my own biggest critic there. I think another thing that really helped me was I was willing to do things for free just to build relationships with people or do things for very cheap. I mean, I had no idea what my value was outside of what my corporate salary was. And I had a very good friend give me advice to say, never do anything for free. You can talk to people, don't do anything for free. And I was like, I, I have to do some things for free, even if it's even if it's not like building my business on the bottom line, it's building the relationships. I mean, that's really what the core of my business is anyway. So if I'm not building relationships to get to a paying project, it was never going to work. So I was doing things that were free, that were really cheap, just having conversations with people. I would hole up and not even an office in my bedroom to, you know, quote unquote work, which was just send people emails, send people ideas, work on other people's websites who were starting their own businesses, just to sort of like build up that performance as this is what it's like to work on your own. It's interesting. One of the little nuggets, and I didn't even know this, I've known you for a while, but I'm not sure if you know that my first corporate role was an internal communications role. This was at Quaker Oats before the merger with PepsiCo. And I worked on a little product that was called the Midday News. And what we did is, and I hope one of my, some of my team members in internal communications, I'm going to have to tag them on this uh, podcast <laughs> and have them listen in. But um, from a daily perspective, we would scrape content about the consumer packaged goods industry and we would share it out as an internal communications channel. And it was such an incredible learning experience. And actually being in communications, I think what's unique about that field is that you learn so much about so many different parts of a business that actually you become a very strategic asset to the organization, even at a very junior level, because you're aware of everything that is happening mm -hmm. in terms of interdepartmental relationships, how to influence, what content is needed to move the dial. So I'm excited to see what what success you have with the projects you're working on in the space now. And maybe down the road, we can do a little case on one of your projects and the outcomes. I think it'll be fantastic. I think you raise a really good point. I mean, I can remember being super, super junior and doing some of those things that I just thought were completely miserable, like cold calling journalists to pitch things for clients. I hated that. In college, I was cold calling for our, our annual fundraiser, hated that, but it was the best paying job on campus. But like through some of those less fun, less sexy jobs, you really learn some of those skills that are valuable down the line. If I didn't have to do some of that, uh, then maybe I wouldn't be as comfortable reaching out to somebody that I haven't talked to in 10 years to say like, hey, how's it going? How are you doing in the pandemic? You know, just to just to put yourself out there. Some of those early days uh, lessons that I learned, I look back now and I'm like, whew, glad I did that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'm going to shift gears now and uh, for the benefit of our listeners, uh, provide a little backstory and then ask you a question. So um, we had a group of people come together inside our MBO Advantage membership program with an idea to talk about the topic of resilience more broadly. And one of the themes that came up and areas that I became most interested in was Jennifer's article, which is about women in the workforce and the leadership lessons that come out of looking at how to create a more resilient workforce overall 
by looking at the experience of women during COVID and then your thoughts, Jennifer, on what that experience might look like and what leaders should be thinking about through 2021. So tell us just a little bit about why you chose the topic and maybe some of your key takeaways for leaders. I mean, the reason I chose the topic is because it's literally my story. Like, I'm sure I'm captured in the statistics as somebody who had dropped out of the workforce. And, you know, I was, if you think about back in April, when things were really crazy and nobody knew what the future of work was going to look like, you know, I'm such a news junkie. I'm reading these articles every single day where it's like women are not going to be in leadership positions after this. The wage gap is going to get bigger. All these gains that have been made in the last few decades are going to be lost. And because all these women have to be at home with their kids with no support. And, you know, it's just like doomsday, right? I mean, of course, it gets clicks. That's why it's in there. And I was clicking every time, multiple times a day. So it really is my story. You know, how do you pivot back from that when you, you know, it was always one of my greatest fears to lose my job. And here I was facing potentially losing my job. How do you bounce back from that? Like, what is your next, what is your goal after that? What's your plan after that? It really, it really gives you a kick in the gut of your self-esteem, really. If you're a professional, you've been focused on, even if you're not actively building your career, you know where you want to go, you know it's a priority. So it's really, it was really just a, an, an exercise for me to just think about what does that look like from both sides? What does it look like from a company leader's perspective? What does it look like from the employee's perspective who's trying to figure out how am I going to maintain my career and you know how am I going to put food on the table if, if I can't get back into the workforce? So one of the things that you did beautifully in your article, and of course, we'll link to it in the description of the podcast, is start to really look at the data. And I can tell that you're very data-driven because you've gone back and looked at that data more than one time to make sure you're telling the right story uh, to our consultant and our enterprise audience that might be looking at the article. What were your big ahas or takeaways from the data about women exiting the workforce in covid I think the sheer numbers are staggering. You know, every month you get, you look at the jobs report and it's like, holy cow, what what is the number of women that are leaving compared to the number of men and how many of those women are coming back the next month? And 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 the numbers just will keep you up at night like they kept me up at night. And if you're even able to maintain, so many have to downshift because there's no way to juggle a full-time plus job with full-time plus childcare and no no break. So it really rings true. I, I could not have operated, had I not been furloughed, I could not have operated at 100% like I was before that and also take care of my kids. So, you know, when you look at the numbers, it's nearly 6 million jobs lost since February 2020, and it's not getting any better. And I think what's also striking, we're in a time where inclusion and diversity is taking a front seat. Well, nearly half of those women are Black and Latina. How do they drop back in? You know, if, if you're already facing, you know, some some challenges in the workforce as it is and you drop out, like who's supporting all these women to get back into it? So I think that is the sort of thing that we as a society, we as corporate women have to figure out how do we <laughs> how do we bring that back? How do we how do we help each other to either maintain or take a professional pause without without any damage to our careers, without having to take a huge pay cut, you know, without a penalty for being moms or taking care of elderly parents or just needing to downshift in some way. I have been similarly disturbed and really, really concerned about the data on women exiting 
month over month. And I really appreciate you calling out the topic of diversity and inclusion, because it is very concerning that we're seeing uh, women that were already economically and socially perhaps challenged falling into this very, very high risk exiting group. Because to your point, there isn't a clear pathway to how they come back. In a situation where many of us are moving to remote work as a context, that isn't always inclusive of every kind Mm -hmm. of worker, right? There's only certain jobs that can be reinvented as remote jobs. And if you happen to have been in the cohort that lost their job where it wasn't possible to take it online, how do, how do you find a way to bring it back? I mean, I, I wish we had the answers. And I know your goal in writing this article was not to start with the answers, but start with the awareness and the question. But you did have some really interesting themes. And you talk about this idea of sort of good news and what can a committed corporation do? What are steps they could take, right? To make a difference where they can make a difference within their industry or all the way down to within their department, right? As a manager. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about those. And you had four concepts. The first was around the concept of empathetic leadership. Yeah, I think we're really, we've really moved away from the days of leader as sort of demigod, right? The leaders that really make the biggest impact are the ones that speak with an authentic and genuine voice. That's what people want to hear. I don't want to hear like the company numbers and and data and, and that sort of thing. I want to hear about you, CEO, you, executive vice president. Like, how are you managing through this? Like, what are your challenges? Even if you're not someone who's in an executive role, you want to hear from people who are above you and feel like they care and they want to understand where you're coming from. It doesn't help anyone to feel like they're all alone. There's no way to feel like you're going to be able to get through this if, you're, if your company is not willing to say, we, we understand or we want to hear from you. So I think enabling those safe spaces for people to have those conversations, I mean, this is true of men too, but I think the data bears out that women take on more of the domestic duties at home. They're taking on more of virtual school. They really need that support, and that has to come from the top down. It can't just happen at the bottom, and it can't just happen with a direct manager who happens to be flexible. It has to come from leaders who set the tone that the company culture is one where we take care of each other. It's one where we seek to understand where our colleagues are coming from and try to support them through whatever they're dealing with. It's very, very well put, and I can see your corporate communications thinking also come through there, um, because what you're describing is really very critical to how leaders communicate, not just in a face-to-face context or a one-to-one, but also in how they structure messaging and how they structure in a remote world and in a post-COVID world, authentic connection with their employee base. We know that connection is the is the framework or the base of that next critical rung, which is employee engagement. We know that employee engagement is a critical rung of broader workforce well-being. And we know that workforce well-being is really what creates shareholder value, right? Because at the end of the day, we're a knowledge-based workforce. So I, as a as somebody who's looked at this, again, I'm looking at connecting with you personally, but I'm also thinking from a CHRO standpoint or a corporate communicator standpoint and saying, this is an important message and it's an important message for authenticity for any group that becomes marginalized. You talk about women, there's many other groups that might also become marginalized, certain kinds of workers. 
so I believe the message rings true even beyond women, although I think women are the critical issue today. You talk about another concept as one of your takeaways for leaders, which is around opportunities for mentorship, employee resource groups, and networking. And you have some specific ideas there. Tell us, just give us a little teaser of what your thoughts are there. Yeah, I think that's really um, just an outgrowth of creating that culture that is really supportive, right? I mean, this can go with any group that may be of common interests in a work environment. But what I found in my own just personal work experience is where I found great value was being able to network with other people who were in the same boat, like meeting other moms who were also struggling <laughs> to get through the workday, who also had long commutes. How do you manage that? How do you juggle your home life with your work life, with wanting to get promoted? Do you maintain? Do you go after the next role? What does that look like? And I think having some formal company support around those types of, whether it's an employee resource group with a name, or whether it's setting up a networking opportunity where you can pair people up. If you can create those opportunities, you'll find that there will be a more inclusive culture all the way around. Jennifer, one of the things that you mention in your article, and I'm going to tie it back pretty closely to your own personal experience, is the importance of non-traditional work arrangements and how those can be critical to taking that cohort of women that have maybe dropped out of the workforce and finding a pathway to bringing them back that works for companies and also works for families. You're a great example of this, and you shared earlier your personal story of how you came to independent work. Tell me what you're thinking now that you've experienced it, now that you have a project under your belt and a line of sight to more. How are you planning to structure the next three to five years of your life? Do you see yourself staying committed to independence? Three to five years is a very long time. Um, it feels like the last year has been three to five years. But yeah, I mean, I, I think the flexibility is really key. I think being able to work from home consistently, and I know that I'm here every single day, is critical. I was very fortunate in my last corporate job to have a flexible work arrangement, first to be full-time and have the option to work from home one or two days a week. And then following my second son being born, I scaled back to just working four days a week and also being able to work from home. So sort of being able to have multiple ways of approaching the flexible work. This working completely from home certainly has its challenges, and I do miss being in an office. But I think as we move forward, people are more interested in that hybrid. You're going to find the people who want to be at home 100% of the time. You're going to find the people who want to be in the office 100% of the time. And then there are going to be, be people who fall somewhere in the middle. And I think that is going to benefit the workforce as a whole, not just women, but I think giving people more options will help them just remain more satisfied in their working role and also create more employee loyalty. I mean, at the end of the day, companies don't want to have to recruit for the same position every year, every two years. It's a huge cost burden. So if we can focus on keeping employees engaged, keeping our working women in their roles or helping them just to maintain and then later to achieve more, I think we'll overcome whatever these bad headlines are. It might not be right away, but I do think the headlines don't give women enough credit for how much progress we've made and how much we are ready to come back and come back in force. It's interesting that you talk about the concept of coming back. Uh, Peter, who is another author within the consulting magazine, his article is titled, And We're Back. And it talks about that moment, you know, when a broadcast is happening, and then suddenly you get the <laughs> interference, and it stops. Yeah. And then there's this awkward pause. And then suddenly somebody comes online and says, 
and we're back. And then you're supposed to be okay as soon as you're back. And his his article talks about the idea that, in fact, you're not okay at the moment when the, the commentator says that. That's just the beginning of how right. you figure out how to get back. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time to share a little bit of your personal story. I know that other women will find it inspiring, and, and so will many of our customers that will appreciate your advice and counsel to them as business leaders and as a corporate organization. So thank you again. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. That was Jennifer Lemmert, employer branding and communication strategist and founder of Jennifer Lemmert LLC. Jennifer is a member of the MBO Advantage program, our exclusive membership program that helps successful independent practice owners scale their business success and build a powerful network. You can find more about Jennifer by viewing her profile on the MBO Advantage Meet the Members page. For more on the MBO Advantage program and for more of MBO's insights on the future of work, visit mbopartners.com or find another episode of State of Independence wherever you find your podcasts. Thank you so much for listening.